Yeah. It just goes to show you that despite how things can go, that window is only as big as it's allowed to be. Hello and welcome to the Wednesday, December 28th edition of the TV on Basketball Podcast with your host TV, the final show of 2022. Hope you guys have a fantastic day and thank you for clicking on to watch or listen to today's episode. Remember to follow at TV on Basketball on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok for up to send the podcast for other great content. If you're on YouTube, remember to like, share, subscribe, hit the notification bell so you will not miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, remember to leave a review, subscribe, all that good stuff. That'll help with the numbers. And if you're on Podbean or any other the pod, podcast streaming services, just show your support in any way possible. That'd be highly, highly appreciated. Final show of 2022. We got it ended off with a bang. Today's episode, we're going to be doing basically a 2022 recap, recapping the top 10 NBA moments slash storylines of this year. And of course, I have to bring on the guy who I do the daily NBA picks with and... Honestly, this is the first time like I've been like recording in a while because my internet's been down and stuff like that. But once we got it back, we're back on the grind. But we have over here, we have Jay, the knockdown Jay. Welcome back on the show, guy. Yes, sir, bro. It's been been quite a year. And if anybody can recap the season, it's, it's got to be us, right? We've had to be locked into just about every game for the last last season. And this was our first real like full season doing the uh, the, uh, the NBA Daily Picks Challenge. So it was a good time. So it also gives us a lot of really solid moments to be able to pull from. Yeah, we did, we were discussing just the moments and stuff. And honestly, just like looking back at some of the craziest moments. and we But we had to cut it down to 10. And we're going to be talking about them all today. If you have any thoughts on these, like, of course, let it down below. And, of course, um, check out Jalen. and all, all of his stuff is going to be on the link tree, the bio of this video, all that good stuff. You can check him out over there. You already know that. But we have a lot to get to, man. We're going to, have, yes, we're going to get a lot to. So let's get right into it. And we're going to start off with probably the highest moment of the season, which is the Golden State Warriors Coming back from the grave, I would like to say, the team thought every a lot of people thought that this team was dead. Didn't make the playoffs for two years straight. We're in the lottery, but they come back. They win the NBA championship. And technically, if you include just like all their playoff appearances, they've been to the finals for what, six straight years, which is pretty crazy if you like just miss out all the times they missed the playoffs. So crazy, crazy year for the Golden State Warriors. Jalen, I mean, that was a pretty good run. Yeah, man. I mean, you got to think about all the different things that have been overcome by the Golden State Warriors in that two to three season span, just kind of leading up to all of it. Right. The 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 missing the playoffs, the Steph Curry missing majority of the season, the Draymond Green kind of tapping out midway through the season after you kind of realized that the that the season was a wash. Right. Yeah. The fact that James Wiseman even to this day, is still kind of struggling to get PT for this team after being a top two overall pick just two seasons ago. And you look at all of the circumstances for them and you just point to the idea of internal development and fortitude. I mean, you got to look at some of the... You hate to throw out the words championship DNA when you talk about teams, right? Yeah. Because there's always that kind of like moral rah-rah thing that's na- like naturally attached to teams that win in the biggest moments. But 
this is one of those teams that you saw they ended up sticking to what they knew best. I don't think they've necessarily drafted Warriors guys from a system perspective with guys like Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, and um, even uh, James Wiseman. But I think that they were able to formulate a solid plan around what they were trying to work towards and still being able to do that with intricate pieces here and there. The Gary Payton, the seconds, who became like one of my favorite players yeah. just on like the defensive end. Um the fact that uh, recently they were able to acquire Dante DiVincenzo, the fact that Jordan Poole, the pool party thing, really yeah. took up uh, took up its name in 2022, right, as a, as a guy who has really stepped in as, like, that third Splash brother. So I think that Golden State's run this last year just kind of goes to show you that although the corny attachment of, like, you know, the championship DNA is something that we don't like to rely on, it is one of those things that when you talk about keeping some level of fortitude through a drought like the one that they went through as a team that's not used to like or at least had gotten used to winning so wasn't very used to being across the bottom of the yeah. league you know i think that just goes to show you that they they put themselves in a really solid position just based off infrastructure alone yeah and the thing about that is like you know like even like during those years when they were really down people and like pundits and everything were really putting pressure on the warriors to like look your window is getting smaller and smaller. Steph Curry's getting older. Draymond is at near the end of his run. We don't know what's gonna happen with Clay. I mean, you didn't even mention Clay Thompson. He had to. We mm-hmm. saw him return from his injury this year as well. Yep. I, there was so much pressure to make moves to give up on the Moody's, the Kamingas, the Wisemans. But no, the Warriors stayed pat. They stuck to their guns, and ultimately it paid off. I mean, people always think that you have to make that extra move to take yourself over the top, and the Warriors proved this year or at least last season, that they didn't have to do that. The internal development, as you mentioned, was there. They built that championship culture. You, of course, still have Steve Kerr over there. You still got Bob Myers. You still have basically the same infrastructure over the past decade. And although they didn't make you know that major trade, they still, like, they still know what it takes to win a championship. And they looked at that roster. They looked at everything and be like, you know what? This team can win a championship. And ultimately it did. Sure, there was like some, you know, there were some things like in like like along the way. Um, they didn't get that to face the Phoenix Suns. They faced, you know, Luka Doncic on a pretty subpar Mavericks team, but they still faced all the competition in front of them. And even they had to go to the NBA Finals and defeat one of the hottest teams in basketball in the Boston Celtics. So it was not an easy road. Some people might say it was a little bit easy here and there just because you didn't have to face, you know, some of the top, top dogs in the league. But at the end of the day, they faced who was in front of them. They were able to go through that whole thing, and they were able to win. And honestly, quite comfortably, in my opinion. They still won, like, in a comfortable manner. This season, a little bit different. That little, like, championship DNA and all that. It might have to, like, um, really kick into gear in the second half of the season. But in terms of them, last season, being able to overcome all of that adversity and still be able to win the championship, highly, highly impressive. And I think... Like it was like a really good like indication like of the season, uh, and just like, the whole dynasty in general because they won one without KD before they won two with him, and then you got the the one afterwards. I mean, what else can you say about this dynasty now? They've, they've been able to do it through all of their phases. It was just been a highly highly impressive year, a very good 2022 for the Golden State Warriors. And if I want to throw it in there, you know, we have to have a reminder of this. The whole Jordan Poole, Draymond situation coming from the preseason as well. That was another big moment. We can probably kind of lump that in here as well. I'm not going to say this is the downfall of the Warriors, but 
at the same time, it's not looking good. If you have any quick thoughts on that. I mean, I, the, I guess the best way to summarize it is if you look at 2022 from the perspective of last season and the good majority of this season, Steph Curry going down the Jordan Poole situation, the um, the ominous, you know, phrasings around the idea of Draymond Green's contract situation and how that's going to entail itself, all of those things that have taken place, I guess the easiest way to say it is it's definitely been a roller coaster ride if you're a Warriors fan. Easily. Because you've seen the highest of the highs and in some cases I would argue even the lowest of the lows just within this last season. So I the last season and a half. So I mean hey man, I strap in strap in anybody who's been strapped in is definitely, you know, yeah, for had sure. a good had a good time, I would say. One hundred percent. Moving on to the next moment of 2022, we got to talk about LeBron. I mean, there's no you can't go a year in the NBA without talking about Mr. LeBron James. He became the number two um, scorer in NBA history. And honestly, most of this year is just the anticipation of him going to number one. Currently, he is like, yes, 601 points away from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Jay. LeBron is almost at that point. We we had a feeling a couple years ago he was going to get there. We didn't think he would still be playing at this high of a level, but the anticipation is there. People have been speculating all year. When is he going to happen? You could put your thoughts on when you think it's going to happen, but also just just like how great LeBron has been even in year, like what is this, like year 20? Yes, sir. So, I mean, I think the biggest thing about all of this is it's just it's, okay. So, I have to I have to fess up something that I think is yeah. pretty hilarious TV, but kind of rock with me on this one. Yeah. So, I am typically a Jordan guy. I remember on this podcast we did an all time draft, and like that was easily the first guy I was gonna hop yeah. on. And it wasn't just because of the fact that I believe he's the goat, but there was a lot of other things that went into like my drafting of that team. But I have found myself in the last two to three weeks in particularly defending LeBron James as if I am a LeBron stan. And I think it's one of the most interesting things ever because it just goes to show you how great not only this season has been from an individual standpoint from him, but also the kind of feats that he has in front of him. Um, and it kind of puts everything in a perspective, right? Like, like you mentioned beforehand, LeBron James is soon to become number one. And I think it's going to happen any day. Now I'm looking at the schedule as we speak. And if we're talking about needing about 600 points, I think that there's a world January 31st, man. I, I'm not, I think that might be a really long time. And the man has been averaging thir- like averaging 30 over the last week or two. But that 31st game, that 31st uh, day of January against the New York Knickerbockers, bro, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mm. Knicks, but you guys tend to be the you guys tend to be the floor that everybody (laughs) loves to be on when they get the job done. You know what I mean? So, again, I don't know. I don't know if Braun's going to show any mercy. There's that Kings game on the 18th. Look, man, the Kings have been good this season. But I think at the end of the day, that's one of those teams I think he would definitely want to enjoy. Uh, going off against yeah um but across the board man i just think that it's been so interesting to see this progression of his game and it i i think for the fact that he has been as good as he's been individually this season yeah. it makes the fact that their team has been as bad as they have been that much harder to like understand right it just yeah. like it, it or maybe maybe we do get it we understand that the personnel is what it is 
But we saw when Anthony Davis was healthy, like, whoa, this team could be scary. Or we saw like Russell Westbrook's willingness or currently see Russell Westbrook's willingness to accept that more six man role. There's all of these things about the Lakers where it seemed like they were making strides to make it work. And it seems just like nothing is working, despite this amazing season that LeBron James is having. So it's just crazy how things like how things are like not lining up for Braun, despite this being such a momentous season for him, not just even statistically, but just kind of the feats of being in year 20. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the stats this season, 28, 6 and 8. It's just like, I, I don't know. That just feels like the prototypical LeBron statline that I've used to seeing for the past like 20 years I mean he's been playing basically my whole life and just seeing this has just become just like second nature to me now and this like first like before the season I was like this is gonna happen after the all-star break as long as you know those guys are healthy I still think LeBron like LeBron's gonna be like putting up massive numbers like maybe 24 25 a game but Anthony Davis is still gonna be the best player but now Anthony Davis is off the court it, there's a real possibility it's going to happen like pretty pretty damn soon. And 600 points, it does sound like a lot. Well, like 20 points in like 30 games, 20 points per game in 30 games, easy. But Braun's going to average basically 30 for the next month. So that's like that. It could even be even closer than we think. Yeah. And like it's been just crazy to see this entire journey for LeBron James. Yeah, he's like here in LA. It's not looking great. But this story is what. And just, like, the idea of him in L.A., like, this whole thing is, like, what's keeping this story going, what's keeping the Lakers, like, all relevant and stuff. And, yeah, the team is not great and stuff, but there's still, like, there's still reason to the season. And I think that just watching this journey, I think hopefully we stop talking about the Lakers, especially if they're bad, after the LeBron James thing happens. But let's be honest, the Lakers are just going to be talked about, like, all the time. But yeah. but at the end of the day, it's it's coming. It's inevitable. And just honestly, at this point, like we don't know how many years LeBron has ha- has left. Mm. I'm just gonna soak this all in, enjoy it, because we are still at age 38, seeing one of the greatest basketball players to have ever laced it up. And honestly, as much as people hate him, they want to continue that LeBron Jordan debate. Of course, we gotta appreciate greatness, and LeBron James is still showing that at age 38. He just turned, I think, I think he just, like, isn't it just his birthday, like, last week or something like that? I think it's literally on the 30th. I think it's Oh, is it the 30th? Okay. Yeah, yeah, At least I thought it was closer to Christmas, but, yeah. Um, yeah, he's about to turn 38, and he's still putting up, like, he's still, like, a top 10 player in the league, if you want to even say that. So, putting up great stuff, he's going to continue to do so. And when that time comes, you already know all the eyes are going to be on the TV waiting for that bucket to happen. And low-key, Steph Curry did it last year in New York. Let's see LeBron do it in MSG as well. I am totally backing that. Hopefully we could see that happen. Yeah, man. I think, I mean, like like I said, kind of just to cap things off with that one, I, we know it's soon. We know it's in January. We know it's in January. I mean, with the way the man has been putting up 30 night in and night out, like you said, he's going to end up averaging 30 by the end of, by the end of, the, by the end of January as it is. And I just kind of double-checked to look back in it. LeBron James' very first game was against the Sacramento Kings. Like I said, that January 18th date is, let's see, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. Hey, maybe even the Sacramento game on on the 7th of January. I don't know. That's six okay, games okay, in. Okay, and okay, my that, boys that, might, at, that might be a bit much. but you I, know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the, 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 way boy, the way the boys have been balling. But I think even with that being the case, within the next 10 games, we're going to see that record go down and – I think, look, regardless of where it happens, like you mentioned with the Steph Curry thing, regardless of where it happens, people are going to have that 
that the people are going to remember where they were when they saw it happen, whether it is in the stadium, when they see it take place, or they are watching on the TV. This is definitely going to be one of those momentous occasions where you're going to remember where you were when when the big dog finished the job. Yeah, 100%. And we are all waiting for that. And if, and, if, and if we come back to this next year when we do the 2023 moments, you already know that's going to be on the list. For sure. For sure. Next thing that happened in 2022, I don't know. It's, it might have been hard to believe because this team is still pretty decent. But the Utah Jazz technically blew it up, right? <laughs> they're, 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 they said they were going to blow it up. So, like, it started with the Royce O'Neal trading traded to the Brooklyn Nets. Then they dealt Rudy Gobert to the Timberwolves. Donovan Mitchell got traded out to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And people were like, okay, this is one of the worst teams in the league. We're gonna They're going to be tanking for Victor Wambanyama. We all knew that was happening. But this year has been so weird that they're still ninth in the West, 19 and 17. Jalen, the the Utah Jazz tried to blow it up. Danny Ainge tried to blow it up, and it's blowing up in their face right now. What do you think? This season has been just this whole year has been just weird for Utah. Yeah, man. I think that's a great way to phrase it. It's just it's been such a weird year because you thought that there would be so much that's accomplished by making such a move where you move on from two all-stars. And the funniest part about it is the dichotomy between those two all-stars in their new situations. You look at both of those trades and you can argue that the teams that receive the players received the kind of guy that they needed in order to actualize their team further. But on one end, you have Donovan Mitchell, who I think has more than served the purpose of being yeah. a secondary, if not primary, ball handler for Cleveland, being another guy who can be on the perimeter and score at a high level when Darius Garland is or isn't out of the game, and be one of those guys that can be uh, reliable down the stretch. And then you have the complete opposite end of yeah. things, where you talk about Rudy Gobert for the Minnesota Timberwolves, who honestly has not really improved Minnesota Minnesota defensively at all. Yeah, exactly. Might have even made them worse, arguably. I, I don't I hate to say that, but I think maybe the trade made them worse defensively, more so than Rudy making them worse defensively. Yeah. Because I just think that there were certain guys like Patrick Beverly and uh Jared v- Vanderbilt yeah. that just did really good things, especially on the perimeter, that Rudy Gobert doesn't necessarily make up with on his rim defense. But on top of that that team has just not made a lot of sense with that pairing with him and Carl Anthony Towns when they both were on the floor. So you see both ends of the spectrum for those two teams. And then you have the, the as a Bulls fan, it hurts to watch, but Laurie Markkinen is teeing off. You've got people making all-star pushes for freaking Laurie Markkinen right now. All-star pushes. People got this man on the ballot. If you, as a Bulls fan, if you saw... Laurie, as an as an all star caliber talent, shout out to you, man, because I don't think anybody had that kind of profit level skill back when we had him on the squad when we made that trade that involved Jimmy Butler and getting Chris Dunn and Laurie back, man. I don't think any of us anticipated the idea of Laurie Marketing and growing into this kind of player, and he's looking like the dude that plays for the Croatian national team the yeah. way he's been hooping this season. The Finland, the Finland national team, or Finland, yeah. yeah. So it's just one of those things where. I think like Utah is in such a we the thing here's the thing we know that if they are committed to the tank before the all-star before the all-star break they're going to start taking real calls yeah and by the trade deadline at bare minimum, I think a guy like Mike Conley will be on the move and I actually think that Mike Conley is a pretty big domino to fall in terms of moving pieces around for Utah to go back to being relatively bad. 
Yeah. So I think that there's still a world where Utah can salvage this. But damn, TV, Orlando, Detroit, and like the Rockets have like a and San Antonio, they've all got yeah. like a crazy head start <laughs> on this whole tanking for Wimbenyama thing. So I mean, if Utah wants to get in the mix, it's gotta they gotta pick up the pace. Yeah, I mean, Detroit and Charlotte haven't even hit ten wins yet. God, so. Yeah, Detroit and Charlotte are worse. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. This whole Utah Jazz thing, this entire year has been weird just because you had the whole thing, of course, dating even back to the pandemic, the whole Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell rivalry sort of thing. And then after that, you know, things look good. They were the number one in the West. They, you know, they got bounced in the playoffs as they always do because you just can't have Rudy Gobert winning games in the playoffs. That's what we've learned. And then even this year, there's a little bit of hope, but then there was just that tension. It just didn't feel right in the Utah Jazz locker room. So they decided to blow it up, and now they're back in this position. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, not only did, like, like this season has been, like, like been, like, weirdly successful for them, but, like, just the whole, like, way, like, everything started, like, unfolding in the offseason. Once you saw the Vars O'Neal thing happen and you saw Brian Windhorst on the TV doing that little thing, like, there's something happening in Utah. There's a little bit something happening. Then you have that going on and then just a domino and domino effect after that. And the fact that you do all this, you're still in this position. I mean, you say you have to trade Mike Conley. They got to trade Jordan Clarkson as well. This guy has been way, way too helpful. <laughs> yeah, team. man. He has definitely been a little bit more helpful than than they would want. As a guy who's still like trying to keep his name very hot in the six-man-of-the-year race, good God, man. Yeah. Good so God. you have all that. You got all that going on, and Laurie Markkinen, like you said. I mean, I'm even pushing for that. He's like, if he, if this is like, if they're a 500 team, and All Star voting ends, and they get to choose the reserves, he is going to be an All Star, which I never thought I would say in my life. But Laurie Markkinen will probably be an All Star this season. So, it's, is this good? Is this bad? It really depends how you look at it. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, I do think that the Utah Jazz do realize that what they have right now is probably not sustainable. It's probably not going to do well, like, go come playoff time, especially when you look at the top six in the West. All those teams are, I would even say, like, a step above them, especially with the talent levels that they have. So, I mean, it's a fun story so far. It's been a really just fun just watching them and, like, actually see them become a 500 team. Is it good for their chances to get Wembanyama? Not at all. But we're going to have to see. We're going to see their true intentions, like you said. We're going to see their true intentions mm-hmm. come to trade deadline. Conley is 100% out. Clarkson maybe like following that if they really really want to cash in on Laurie Markkinen and get a massive package this could be the time to do so because I don't think his his trade value is going to get any higher than this but you know they they have some really solid guys there and honestly even without them their young core maybe add like a another guy from this year's draft with it it's could the turnaround could be not too far away from Utah. So maybe they want to actually keep some of these guys to be competitive in the future. But who knows? We're going to see, like you said, their true intentions come to trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moving on to the next thing that happened this year. And if I don't know, I don't know if people remember this, but Brooke, but James Harden was on the Brooklyn Nets once upon a time, like earlier this year. And that whole situation of him just wanting to leave Brooklyn. It, it was basically like deja vu of the year prior to that with him in the Houston Rockets. Now this year with him wanting to reconnect with Daryl Morey, that whole thing, him getting weight, that whole narrative starting up all over again, him sitting out games and all that. 
it, that whole situation was weird. And I and move and if, when we move on to the next topic, it's gonna be a lot easier to see like what like this whole Brooklyn year has just been just pretty crazy. But what were your thoughts on the whole James Harden thing from this year? Yeah, man, journeyman James strikes again, bro. He found yeah. another way to, you know, fat suit his way out of a place. And I would argue that I think he maybe had a little bit more, um, I guess, um, he had a little bit more of a reason this go around. Yeah. I think with Houston, the circumstances were that I think that he just, I, I think in Houston, I don't think he understood what he exactly wanted. Because when you look down the the list of different superstars that he's been paired with or the, or the kinds of teams that he has been surrounded by, Houston has done everything in their power in a sense or did everything in their power in a sense to be able to create a, an ideal roster to maximize James Harden in any way possible, right? Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, nothing was working, and a change of scenery was more so needed out of the fact that it seemed like everything for Houston had been exhausted. Then when you look at Brooklyn, the team was – the team is arguably like the most – I think Zach Lowe phrases it as like they're the greatest theoretical t uh, trio yeah. ever because like when they were together, they were like essentially unstoppable. When you talk about the idea of Kevin Durant, James Harden and Kyrie Irving all being on the floor, which I think they only played in like less than 20 games together or something like that as a complete trio. But that was the problem. That was a huge part of the problem. And then you factor in a lot of that being stemmed by the Kyrie Irving vaccination situations and things of that caliber. And it kind of became one of those things where it's like, well, dang, if I'm not playing as a part of the team that I thought I came to when I asked to be sent here, well, then I don't want to be here because the maximization yeah. of this team is with all of us three on the floor. And if it's always going to be something wrong with this guy over here, or Kevin Durant, of course, missing a lot, of, a handful of the season due to injury. If it's always going to be, if this is going to be me by myself with this roster, I was better in Houston. I was better yeah. off in Houston, at least with the supporting cast that they had at the time. So I think that third time's a charm. I guess you got to yeah. hope. Last season wasn't super great in terms of the ending to Philly, Philly season, but it was mainly due to injuries that kind of pulled uh, piled up specifically around the postseason. Philly looks pretty solid this year i don't think either either one of these guys are in between joel and beat and james harden are mvp candidates this season but mm. i think they're definitely both guys that should be in the all-star running so i mean without a doubt they're in a good spot but yeah man journeyman james bro it's gotta work here or what do, what do you do you know yeah exactly and it's just weird even like have you seen like those reports too about him potentially wanting to go back to Going houston back to houston yeah and he has shot them down and i think that that's I, when you look at the circumstances, I don't see any reason why he would actually choose for them, choose them again, unless it's strictly about the nightlife habits that everybody points to. But if you take that out of the, take that out of context, and you focus strictly on the basketball semblance of it, it's like, come on, man, like there's no exactly. way James is considering that, unless it's strictly about that, or maybe that Houston's just gonna have that much more money than everybody else next season, because they're gonna be one of those teams that's gonna be walking around with a lot of cap space. That is true. That is true. But yeah, just this whole thing. I mean, the Brooklyn, you, exactly like you said, with the Zach Lowe quote, perfect, per, per, put it perfectly. They only played like, what, 20 something games together? I swear it was like mm -hmm. 27, 28 games. And they were looked absolutely unstoppable. I think they were like 21 and 6 or 21 and something. Something like, crazy. Something crazy good. And James Harden definitely saw the writing on the wall. I mean, as we're going to talk about with the next topic as well, he started like basically like with all the star players. 
potentially wanting out of the Brooklyn situation. I mean, he saw something then, then they, and then it kind of just started the domino effect for the rest of it. I mean, luckily for Brooklyn, they're kind of like picking up the pieces right now after firing um, Steve Nash. But it looked really bad for them from that, like from the James Harden trade, basically all the way up to August. So, yeah, I mean, that whole like situation, again, really weird. I mean, it was so funny because once the trade once the trade happened, it was like the it was the All Star draft, right? When it was when yeah. everything was happening, and mm-hmm. then KD like everything in his power to not draft James Harden, like that thing was also just like really really funny as well. Mm-hmm. So James Harden out of Brooklyn, it was it's a good I think it was a good trade for Brooklyn just because it just took away like a like a negative like a mind mindset he's like someone i'm not gonna say locker room cancer but someone who clearly just didn't want to be there so you had to like get rid of that and it's, it's helping out houston um, it's helping out philly right now because yeah they've had a slow start to the season but that's a in part due to the joel injury due to the james harden injury but now they're starting to pick up their flow again they're gonna try and get back into like the top four top three in the east again there's still a lot of season left so I hope. I mean, like you said, this is like if he doesn't like really work out here, if it doesn't look, if it doesn't look great here, I don't know where else it's gonna work. So, yeah, that whole James Harden out of Brooklyn situation was definitely something to look forward to. That was like a month long saga once again. But you expect absolutely nothing less from someone as polarizing <laughs> as James Harden, for sure. And like I mentioned, as we move on to the next topic, he wasn't the only star in Brooklyn wanting to get a trade out of there because the entire offseason com- went to a complete halt when Kevin Durant requested a trade. What was it? It was like late July, early July mm-hmm. or something like that. Or no, it was like June, right? It was like, it was more like June-ish. Yeah. Yeah, it was like a June. It was a June trade request. It was like right before the draft as well. And what was crazy about this whole Kevin Durant situation is that all these teams had their plans like laid out for the offseason. They were ready to go in there, ready to attack. But once this Kevin Durant situ- like trade request happened, Everything stopped and everyone was just like, you know, those type of scenes in like cowboy movies where you have just two guns and you're just waiting for the first person to shoot. That was basically like, that was basically the entire league with each other. I mean, that KD like request shook the entire NBA world, Jalen. Yeah, man. I, I the and the standoff part that you mentioned, I think it's really important too because it goes to show you just how crazy the idea of such a request even can be right and of course the whole thing got shook up even more head because and we i think we had this conversation on the pod was the rudy gobert thing really really made that entire situation that much harder to really yeah. contextualize right because you look at rudy gobert especially again if we want to compare seasons what rudy has provided this year as opposed to what kevin durant is doing this season and you think about the idea from a value standpoint you have to ask yourself like if rudy is worth that essentially four to five first round picks if you count walker kessler and leandro balmaro and rotational pieces then what in the world, like do you give him a stake in the in the organization like as a part of the trade like how does like how does that go about how do you go about that in a way that there's an actual i know you're never going to get an even exchange for a guy of that caliber but i mean geez like again the man i I think i watched I, i think i took a look at the uh the kia mvp ladder the man is like in the top seven yeah. Amongst MVP candidates, he might be a little bit higher now, despite the fact that Luka and freaking Nikola Jokic have been going bonkers the last couple of days. Yeah. But yeah, the, the MVP ladder has Kevin Durant in the top seven right now. I think he might even be number five. 
if you've got that guy as opposed to a guy in Rudy Gobert who's never sniffed an MVP, yeah. then what does that even look like? And then you tack on a lot of the other weird things that were associated with Brooklyn around the time, including Kyrie Irving, right, who in yeah. his case, he went out, he dropped his player option um, in order to become a free agent. And essentially got no looks, got no buyers, ended up having to pick that pick that player option back up, essentially in order to play Mr. Nice Guy this season, which yeah. hasn't worked out to its full potential. But it's getting better as the season yeah. seems to progress. And I think that Jacques Vaughn has brought some actual stability to this team, which is a huge thing for a squad like this that's been through as much as they've been through in the last two seasons. So, yeah, man, the Kevin Durant... The Kevin Durant trade request is like the equivalent to like the, the like the like you remember like when in the summer league it was like the Kawhi Leonard Paul George thing happened and like yeah. there was a literal earthquake. This was like the equivalent to that in a much more like subtle environment, considering that this is something that came completely out of left field. Yeah, for sure. And another factor that we have to even put like onto this is that this is not like a Kevin Durant deal that was going to expire in like one or two years. No, no, no. He had five years left on his deal. Five seasons. Five seasons. So sure, there could, there's going to be a equal to less value for a Kevin Durant with one year left on his deal. But imagine the package that you had to give up to get Kevin Durant on a five year deal, which is absolutely bonkers if you really do think about it. And that going back to the James Harden thing, I mean James Harden. Like, saw something there in Brooklyn. He realized that he had to get out of there. And then after that happened, after especially especially after that Brooklyn Nets, like, absolutely, like, horrendous showing in the playoffs where they got absolutely mollywopped by the Boston Celtics, mm. led to the Kevin Durant trade, all this Kyrie Irving stuff going on. Like, it was literally a burning house, a like a garbage, like a dumpster fire over there in Brooklyn. And honestly, what's really impressive is the way that they've been able to recover, like, on this day. Like, right before 2023, they look like, honestly, they're getting back to that contendership status. I mean, they're third in the East right now, 22 and 13. <laughs> they're actually looking really good on, like, a, I think, like, what, they're on a 10-game winning streak right now? Nine-game winning streak? Nine-game winning streak. Yeah, so... Mm -hmm. It's looking really good for the Brooklyn Nets right now, especially coming from a place where they were like just six months ago. People were calling out like Steve Nash left, right, and center. You could tell that no one in that organization really saw him as the true leader. So, yeah, I mean, like that whole Kevin Dur Durant thing, like the fact that his ability, and it just shows like when you have an all time player asking for this sort of request, it could just stop the league at its tracks altogether. Because mm. even like Patrick Beverly was saying on his podcast, once that happened, everyone was just like, okay, who's going to do it? <laughs> you, have, right. you have you have Kevin Durant's like, Kevin Durant's available. Who's going to make the trade? Nothing happened. And that's and then that's when, like, you realize, like, a lot of the teams were just waiting for that to happen in order to make their moves. Once they realized that wasn't going to happen, that's when start, things started flowing again. You had a Donovan Mitchell trade happening, like, later on in the offseason. So I think it was just, like, a, just a great example of just how much gravitas a player like Kevin Durant brings to the table especially him on a five-year contract. It it was just like a really weird thing. And I think like what, what was crazy about that, especially as content creators and me and Jalen ourselves, that carried like topics for like four weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's the big point about it, man. I think the I think, I mean, when I ended up doing some content with the Knockdown J podcast, I think that that ended up coming up at least two to three times over like the first 
four to five episodes that I had launched when I had batched everything. And it was just because I think I could not wrap my head around everything that was surrounding it because there were so many different ripple effects that were associated to it. If you remember, there were the trade rumors about Jalen Brown being thrown out as a potential trade piece yeah. from the Boston Celtics. This is a team that just came off of making the NBA finals and being a team that's made at least the Eastern Conference finals, like what, five out of the last six seasons or something like that. This yeah. is one of that. That's that team. When you look across the board, the Phoenix Suns and the Miami Heat were teams at the top of the list. Miami would kill for a guy like Kevin Durant right now with the way their season has been, especially from an offensive perspective, especially in half court. And then when you look at Phoenix, I think that with the slow or maybe drastic decline of Chris Paul, depending depending on how you view his you know his offensive repertoire, if you really just care about the passing, then I, th- I guess he's still the guy he's always been. But if you look at from from a from a scoring perspective, the dude is completely tanked. Having another offensive creator outside of Devin Booker has been the biggest hole for this team. And boom, you have one of the greatest offensive creators in all of NBA history as a guy that has you at the top of his list talk about Kevin Durant. So yeah. there were just so many things where when his name was thrown out there, especially when your raps were in the conversation, yeah. the team that might've wanted to go after him, the Pelicans were arguably the team that many were saying might've had the best trade package overall for a guy like mm-hmm. Kevin Durant. There were so many different things where like life in the NBA could look really crazy for a team right now. Had somebody actually felt froggy and left. Yeah, exactly. So that, that that was just that that whole situation. Like, I mean, you mentioned like all the teams that like that whole like wish list he had, and the fact that like even like I think the Boston Celtics weren't even on that list initially as well. Mm-hmm. So like like it was just crazy, and the fact that that took up like most of the off season, like that was the equivalent of like when was Ben Simmons getting traded like the the season prior. Yep. we were just all waiting for that to happen, and then everything else was just gonna fall into place, and that was that really just took over the NBA at that point. But the funny thing is, after that Kevin Durant situation, it didn't even get better for the NBA because the second half of 2022 in general has been an absolute PR disaster for the NBA. Here's just here are the ones that I've been able to find. I might be missing even one or two. Jalen, you can like you can remind me if I'm missing any. Mm-hmm. But we had the Kyrie Irving stuff with him in those comments and him like retweeting that video. Even if you want to go back into earlier in the year, that whole vaccination stuff. You have the Emei Doka situation where he got a year suspension from the from the Boston Celtics. You have Miles Bridges being convicted of um, of um, domestic abuse. <laughs> like God, he got a, he got committed of that. The whole Robert Sarver thing where he was forced to sell the Phoenix Suns, and then capping it off. I even forgot about this like until like twenty minutes before the podcast. The Josh Primo situation where he was flashing the 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 Suns. Sorry, that the Spurs, like, therapist or something. Mm. It's just been an absolute PR disaster. And, like, that, like, and this is, like, a lot of this stuff. And not to mention the Draymond Green-Jordan Poole situation. I just, like, yep. that whole thing. I mean, especially for the second half of the year, that, that, like, this whole, like, thing of just, like, the NBA trying to cover up situation after situation. It's just been absolutely crazy. I think, like, I like you phrased it, TV. I think this is one of those things where the PR team, they they got their money's worth in terms of the NBA's investment this season because everybody had to be on their P's and Q's. I mean, we're talking cultural legalism. We're talking all types of things where it was just like everybody was going to have to, from every perspective, 
perspective, whether it was from a political perspective, from a cultural perspective. Sometimes it was just again certain things in terms of like from from even like a from like a feminist a legal, lens and stuff from like a that. legal feminist lens. Yeah, there were so many different directions where it was like, you know, this is one of the this is one of those seasons where when people point to like athletes and it ends up being NBA athletes a lot of times as like the the center of like, you know, public speaking when it comes to like major issues and things like this. This, this was unfortunately like the flip side and the opposite uh, yeah. <laughs> effect, right? This is one of those things where the idea, this is this is one of those seasons that represents why maybe relying on athletes in these perspectives is a bit above their pay grade, which is, yeah. I think is always, I think it should always be the case. I think they should be allowed to voice their opinions, but they are still athletes at the end of the day that doesn't limit them intellectually or anything of that perspective but that doesn't make them that much more knowledgeable or make that voice make their voices that much louder than other people's when it comes to some of these different topics because there is a certain lack of knowledge or in certain cases just a certain split second moment where you make a decision that might not be uh favorable to you in the future you want to let's let's talk about the miles bridges thing the dude was three days away from a max contract and let's just yeah. call it let's call it a spade let's call it a spade a spade charlotte was right there in front of them uh teams were saying that the pacers i remember a lot of people were like miles bridges on the grizzlies would be the some that would be the solid three-man pickup that would like help maybe put them over the top as like a legitimate yeah. contending team they were in the mix. I think Detroit would have been an interesting team to pair him with Cade Cunningham as a secondary ball handler who also could be an alley-oop threat for that team and above yeah. the red th- uh, red, uh, above the rim threat for that team. There was there were going to be legitimate suitors for this guy where he was looking at a four-year max level or max caliber deal and a split-second decision kind of sold the bag. He yeah. sold the bag. And we're looking at a situation now where reports recently said that with the pending situation with Miles Bridges, the best opportunity he might have is to maybe get some kind of qualifying offer through the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah. This might be easily, and I hate to phrase it this way because there was a young woman who was impacted by this yeah. whole thing and a child. And a child. Yeah. This might be the biggest bag fumble. Since the Dennis Schroeder bag fumble, when we yeah. just talk about it strictly from a financial standpoint, we're talking about a dude. This is like the equivalent to like when Isaiah Thomas said they're going to have to back back out the Brinks truck. He yeah. got injured and it completely not only just tanked the rest of that, that, that potential right there in terms of being paid, but it kind of ended up being the downfall of his season. I mean, of, of, his, of career, his career, yeah, of his career. And in a sense. Miles Bridges has a lot more ahead of him from a youthful standpoint, but if this if if this whole thing does come down to a conviction, it could be the end of his career off of a decision as well. And so I know that those two things aren't really in the same pocket because we're talking about an injury versus again domestic violence, a split second decision. But it just goes to kind of show you that like it is so easy in the NBA to watch a very good moment become like dull down really quickly just by one simple thing happening one simple thing changing so yeah pretty crazy yeah yeah the, the pr team had to work over overtime over overtime exactly i mean 
And the thing is, is like not only the, with the Miles Bridge situation, but you have people like basically losing their jobs in the Ime Odoka. I don't even know how he's able to even return to the Celtics organization after this. You have the Sarver thing where he had to like completely sell off the team. I mean, they just sold it recently as well. The Phoenix Suns finally got bought. Primo, I don't know. I don't. I think his career in the NBA is over. I mean, he wasn't even like that fantastic to begin with. Now you have this situation. I don't know how he's going to be able to return to the court. Mm. So I don't. I don't know. I mean, this is just this is just like an absolute, especially the second half of the year, just absolute disaster case. The fact that Kyrie had like sponsorship after sponsorship drop him as well. It it was it was crazy. And it was unfortunate for like people who love talking about the game of basketball. Like I used I love doing it on a weekly basis. But when a lot of the headlines are dominated by things off the court, it kind of like turns you off a little bit mm-hmm. in the game, which absolutely sucks. But we're finally moving past those things. It's doing really good. But still that that period of time in the NBA, I think, was a really like a like a really like dark spot on the year. For what was honestly a really great year. Fans are back in the state back in the stands. It was a really good NBA playoffs last year. Lots of like great talent coming in this year, especially in terms of first-time All Stars, MVPs. But in terms of just like a dark spot in the, like, in the in the for the twenty twenty two in the NBA, that mm-hmm. definitely was because it felt like all these things were happening at once as well, which was absolutely crazy. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not even gonna lie to you. That was kind of part of the hiatus. Like when I was recording, I I had a really good hot streak going on. I had you on the podcast yeah. and everything else, and we had I had a good seven episodes like that. I was just banging out week after week, just getting guys on and having solid conversations. But yeah. it seemed like things were becoming so much more about off the court issues as opposed to on the court prediction uh, production. Or in a lot of cases, this a lot a lot of it happened during the off season, so it was. Not even like, you know, different things that we can anticipate or look forward to. Right. Yeah. So it was one of those situations where essentially you kind of lose any kind of real motivation in terms of doing NBA content because it just didn't feel like we were talking about hoops anymore. I felt like I was trying to have intellectual uh, like conversations about, you know, team building and different things like that. But they get overshadowed by things like. Russell Westbrook trade rumors every two days and Ken Darvin Ham turned this team around and yeah. Steve Nash has a gun to the back of his head because if he doesn't do something for this team, he's going to be on the chopping block or Kevin Durant yeah. wants out. It's just like if you build it up and that, that, that's just, that's again me trying to keep it basketball, right? That's yeah. even those issues that I'm listing off is me trying to keep it basketball. So, it's just, it, you know, it's, it's a tough thing with the NBA, but it seems like. Over the last couple of months, things are slowly starting to kind of uh, come back to the mean, I guess. Come back to the median when it comes to making things make sense. Yeah, let's just hope for a lot less of this type of talk coming into 2023. Hoping for good things for the NBA, of course. But going to take it back to the basketball court, we have to talk about basically the best player over the past two seasons so far. Nikola Jokic winning back-to-back MVPs after a season where we thought there's no way he could play better, right? There is just no way. And then he even topped that, which is absolutely crazy, averaging 27 points, 14 rebounds, 8 assists on a on a pretty, honestly, an overachieving Nuggets team because no Jamal Murray, no Marco Porter Jr. for the majority of last season. And he was still able to take this team to the, I think it was like the 5th or 6th seed or whatever. Mm. Jokic is just... Proven once again why he is the best center in basketball. We talked about him a lot last year, but man, Jokic, even if going into this season, especially these last like what three to four weeks or so, he's looking like another like he's had like another MVP like case just like coming together already. Yeah, I mean, I guess the best way to phrase it, bro, is like 
I think no matter what camp you come from when it comes to being anti Nicole Jokic 3 P, you are having a tough time right now. You are having <laughs> yeah. a tough time trying to fight for that point because I mean the dude I mean I mean you mentioned it at the top of the topic, like the dude has solidified himself as easily or I got maybe still arguably the best center in the league. But I think the dude has easily surmounted himself as a top three to top five player in terms of most skillful players yes. in the league from an overall skill standpoint. I mean, most points in a triple double on Christmas this past week. And him and Luca are just trading blows for blows when it comes to these insane stats, yeah. stat lines, right? Luca Doncic becomes the first player ever to have a 60, 20, and 10 game. Oh ever. Like think, like, think about what I just said, man. There are people in 2K who can't even... The, the, some yeah. of the better 2K players can't do that in a my career game. Yeah. And Luka Doncic just did it in a, in, in a, in a big-time game um, a couple days after Christmas. Yeah. You know, against the New York Knicks, one of the teams that, you know, everybody is tuning in to watch, you know, in terms of big game performances. So, I mean, man, Nikola Jokic is a different type of beast. I think two seasons ago, a lot of people were not as big on the idea of Jokic winning MVP because of all the different injuries that were taking place throughout the season. And, of course, the fact that they were in sixth place and stuff like that. And last season, I think even last year, a lot of people were not as hype about the idea of a Jokic back-to-back. Yeah. How many more seasons do you have to do it in a row to prove that at least one of those MVPs wasn't fraudulent? I mean, to me, I think both MVPs were legitimately earned. But yes. for anybody that thought it was fraudulent, how many more seasons does he have to put together before you believe that at least one of them was deserved? Because, I mean, yeah. at this point, it's getting ridiculous. Yeah. Nicole Jokic has just been absolutely insane. Like, I'm just looking at like his, like, his recent, just his game logs. He's had, like, multiple 40-point games like a constant triple doubles every single like every single time yeah he started off the season slow by his standards but ever since december turned around he's coming back to that mvp level type of performances and i i, I know like people want to make the argument for Embiid, and there is a good argument especially for his defensive capabilities but Jokic has proven now that you have jamal murray back now that he has michael porter jr back he he has a great team around him and they're like there's a reason why they're number one. Like you, because you have his playmaking ability, his scoring ability. Now that he has help, if he has, if he's producing the same numbers as last year, and he is having on a much better team, like he's like his the record is so much better. It's hard to argue against that. Mm-hmm. I know people don't want to give him like a tr- like a three beat MVP, like the first guy since Larry Bird. They don't want it to be Nicole Jokic. I know people yeah. don't want it to be Nicole Jokic, but when you you can't deny production on a court. And it translating to wins. I mean, right now I think they're like, yeah, they're the, they're the second best team in basketball. They're tied with the with the Milwaukee Bucks for the second best record in the league. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, how long does it have to take for people to really buy into Jokic being like a top three player in the league? I don't know. I've been believing that for a while now, and he's continuing to prove it year in, year out, game in, game out, and he's it's it's not going to stop anytime soon. They yeah. this this Nuggets team. Is really really good, and with Jokic now having players like this, is like if he like ended off the season right now, it would be a career high in assists for him, and that's already like, like, like one of his greatest skill sets. So it's looking really good for the Denver Nuggets, and and subsequently Nikola Jokic is becoming a better, bigger beneficiary of this. He is becoming honestly on his way to an all-time great. He is on his way to that. He is that great of a basketball player. 
another guy who someone who he definitely has his fans. He definitely has his fans, but also he definitely has his critics, especially with the type of things he says in the media. But you can't if there's one thing that you can't deny any NBA fan is that he has arrived on the scene and he is definitely making a name for himself. Let's talk about my boy Ja Morant, establishing himself as a top five point guard this year. One of, the, in my opinion, one of the best leaders in the league. Not only that, the Memphis Grizzlies are a damn good team, and they are low key a dark horse a finals contender. There could be maybe a conversation for another day. But man, tell me about talk to me about Ja. We've talked about it honestly last year in the daily pick'em. We talked about it a lot on like podcasts and stuff. Talk to me about Ja Morant. Yeah, man, I think the biggest thing about John Morant is we had this conversation a lot last season about what it takes when you win in most most improved player as a lead ball handler, as a lead creator, as the lead guy on a team. Right. You're already established as a superstar slash all star talent. Um, what, what what how do you get to that point when you talk about it from the perspective of being a most improved player? I think it's what made what separated him. In the jump that he made, despite the fact that the statistics were not significantly higher, any way the shoe was significantly better than the season prior. What made the most improved player award valid for John Morant winning it last season over maybe his teammate Desmond Bain, for example, who I argued was a very uh, legitimate uh, candidate for the award, is that I believe that more so than a statistical jump. That ability to go from being a star caliber player to being an all-star, all-NBA caliber player, that gap is much wider than just increasing your PPG, right? We've seen it in postseasons beforehand, whether it's the Julius Randle most improved season or the Jeremy Grant most improved season. What were two things that were very common about both of those most improved seasons? They had career years in very unduplicable circumstances you look at jeremy grant he is still a very solid option as a part of the trailblazers but he is not nearly producing to the kind of level that he was as the number one option as a part of the detroit pistons his most improved player was more a product of circumstance if you're going to be the number one option on a very good team you're going to get a lot of good looks you're going to get a lot of opportunities to close games and you're going to get a lot of opportunities to be able to show up on highlight reels because you are going to have the ball in your hands a lot. For Julius Randle, his most improved year came off the back of him shooting like a <laughs> god from beyond the arc where he was shooting like, I think what, him and Artie Baird both were shooting like 40% from yeah. beyond the arc while both, I think both of them were top three in minutes played per game and minutes total played last season because Tom Thibodeau was running, I mean not last season, that that, that year because yeah. Tom Thibodeau was running those boys into the ground as they went into the playoffs, right? So mm-hmm. you look at two seasons where they're kind of outlier years for those two guys. For John ja Morant, when he won that MB, when he won that most improved, that was the start of what I think people see as the future of his career. And yeah. I think that's been what the most impressive thing about John ja Morant has been within this year is that you've seen the slow strides of progression of him improving as a player to the point that he understands as the star of this team that he has to play to a certain caliber for Memphis to be considered championship caliber. They obviously are a team that's very productive without him on the floor. We've seen the record. We've seen the production from guys like Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson, and so on. But for them to be considered considered real title contenders, that leap that Ja made this past season 
that was the start of what needed to happen in order for this team to be considered as a serious favorite or even as a serious contender. So, I mean, yeah, the ascension of John Moran, it's it's a uh, uh, baton passing in a way of like the next generation of basketball with him, Luca, Jason Tatum and other guys who are going to be, you know, faces of this league if they're not already. Yeah, no, 100 percent. And I like this. I know people were complaining a lot about him winning most improved last year. That was my prediction before the season. And yeah, that's true. Yep. Yeah, that was, that was my prediction before the season. But it's one of those things where I like the way you put it because him, like, that was just the start of him becoming, like, what we know, what we're going to know for him as a player. 27 points a game, 7-6, whatever. That's what he's, he's going to be. This is going to be him constantly as a top-five point guard for years to come. And I, and I think that's, like, in a way, probably the best improvement you can have in the NBA. Like, taking that jump from, like, all-star rising star all the way to superstar saying that you made it that's what the type of that's the type of job that you want to see that's why when you're looking at the people who are in the race this year a Shea Gildas Alexander and Tyrese Halliburton they're like the two main guys for me this year Mm -hmm. most improved you could see Tyrese Halliburton becoming the league's best playmaker at the point guard position for the next decade Mm -hmm. you could see that happening you could see Shea Gildas Alexander once the OKC team finally develops they finally get things like get their um get their stuff together you could see him becoming a borderline top five shooting guard, top five point guard in the league. This is the type of jump that you want to see. It's not like a one-off season. We don't want to like give most approved to like one-off seasons for like a Julius Randle or like that type of things. You want this to be consistent. We want to see that jump. Like the Paul George, like when Paul George won it back in like 2012 or something like that. That's a type of like, like those are the type of ones I like to see for this award. And John Moran, I think, kind of fit the bill for that. Not only that, his team is actually winning as well. So, and he's making other, like, I know people want to make the argument, oh, last year he would do like 19 and whatever it was, like, when he was on the court. Yeah, yeah, but they're not going to win anything without him. They right. need him on the court, and we could clearly see that on a game-to-game basis. He is a, he is a, he's going to be known as a near-generational talent here in John Morant, and we're just seeing the beginning of his, his ascension. And the Memphis Grizzlies feel like they're set up great for, like, the next decade with the Desmond Bain, with the Jaron Jackson, with Jaw, with – you can even throw in guys like the Santi Aldamas, the um, – just, like, just a lot of their young – they have just a real young team in general. So, John Morant's the star of that show, but I'm just really excited for just this whole Grizzlies team in general. Mm-hmm. And it's exciting to see what John Morant could do going forward. Yeah, and I think some. Yeah. I think I want to bring something to you as like a, just a real talking point, yeah. real quick, because I just feel like it's kind of important for even like encapsulating this yeah. season. One of the things as a Chicago Bulls fan that I think I brought up a lot last season, in particular, when he made his kind of MVP level leap, was this idea of comparing John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies, in a sense, to the Derrick Rose teams, right? Yeah. And one of the things that I think really stands out to me, besides just their play style, which obviously puts a little bit of a cap on John Morant from a longevity standpoint. We do understand that Derrick Rose has been able to bounce back from his significant injury, but John Moran has been relatively injury prone in his own right throughout the early portions of his career. My biggest thing that I hope for Memphis is that they do not become too content with internal development. If you remember, even with those Chicago Bulls teams, we were kind of ride or die with developing through guys like Kirk Heinrich, uh, uh, Joe Kane, Noah, Luol Dang. We ended up acquiring Carlos Boozer. You end up looking 
at some of the other internal things that we were able to do. But that was a team that kind of once we established a pure core around Derrick Rose, that was kind of the team we went to bat with every single year. And we learn as Chicago Bulls fans that that has a shelf life. And once your MVP isn't MVP caliber anymore, we didn't have anything to really sustain beyond that in terms of being real championship contenders. I think that Memphis is in a perfect circumstance right now where they have the ability and they've been able to develop internally. I think they have to be able to take that and understand when it takes, when the time is to make that pivot from just being an internal cute team that develops rookie after rookie and decides to take that leap, you know, reap the fruits of your labor, so to speak, in terms of developing these guys and turn them into another all-star caliber player, whether it's by turn, literally turning somebody into an all-star. Desmond Bain might be somebody that has that capability or packaging guys in order to go get that that all-star caliber player. That's my biggest thing for Memphis. I do want your thoughts on that, like just in terms of like, I like this Memphis team, but my biggest worry is that they are so content with the way they've done things that yeah. they don't realize that there is a shelf life to the way that this can go, even with the fact that some of the main superstars in the league are slowly but surely going to be fizzled out. I still feel as though the biggest championship window is with John Morant in these three to four years, four to five, I guess, that he's still signed through on his extension. This area right here might be the best championship window for them, and I think that they have the assets to be able to put together a real championship caliber squad. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with that, and I think a good comparison could be even like even if you look at my Toronto Raptors at the moment, Messiah Jiri is very much all in on that aspect of just developing internally and like not picking up shooters, not picking up like traditional bigs, and being like, okay, this is gonna work out eventually. Mm-hmm. We they don't, especially when you have a like a great player like John Morant, someone who is as good as him. You can't be doing that. You can't be doing that. There, because like you said, there is a shelf like to that. You don't want to be doing that with guys like him. You don't want to be doing with guys like Luka Doncic. You don't want to be wasting their primes like this. Especially because everything like we've seen with Derrick Rose in the past. We've seen with like stars. That could be taken away in an instant. Mm-hmm. That type of thing. I mean, we talked about earlier how they were planning to get there maybe in, in talks of getting Miles Bridges. That's a start. Of course, probably not going to get Miles Bridges. But... Right. but Maybe going out to get a trade, maybe like looking at the next disgruntled star and be like, you know what? We have draft capital. We have some young guys that, let's be honest, they're not going to, not all of them are going to be getting minutes. Not all of them are going to be playing here. We could package a little something. We could give that to a team who wants to rebuild. They should be one of the the teams at the top of the list when the next disgruntled star is available. Mm-hmm. Whether it's potentially a Bradley Beal, whether even like, even like, honestly, Miles Turner, imagine him and, and Jaron Jackson Jr. in that front court. Jesus, that would be really good. Like, just, like, those type of players, like, where you can, like, have maybe... Honestly, the one thing I really want to see from them is, like, a, a, like a really good wing player, like a, thir- like a, like a number three. Mm. That'd be really nice. But that type of thing, those are, like, those are the things now you're at that stage with this team. Sure, you're young. Sure, you have some great players in, like, Ja, of course, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson. But you can improve off that. You don't have to keep building to the draft. You have your key pieces. Now it's time to take those key pieces, take those assets, and move forward. That's mm-hmm. That should be the next step. I 100% agree with that. You can't be wasting, especially when you have John Morant averaging, just again, more career numbers and like assists and rebounds as well this year. You can't be wasting these years of John Morant, no matter how young he is. Right. You have to be taking advantage of them 100%. Speaking of another team on the rise, a team where 
I don't know about you. I didn't wasn't expecting him to be in a playoff race last year. And now going from a potential playoff race to becoming dark horse finals contenders, this is what the Cleveland Cavaliers have done. And man, they have taken that jump this year and have been honestly one of the league's most exciting teams. That young backcourt of Jared Allen and Evan Mobley defensively is scary. Darius Garland becoming one of the best young point guards in the league. And like we talked about the Memphis Grizzlies, how they should make a move in the near future. The Cavs saw an opportunity to get Donovan Mitchell. They made it happen. And now they are, I'm not going to say going all in, because I, I think that they're still like all within the same ballpark in terms of um, kind of their timeline. But they are making some like big time moves and they really want to, you know, take that next step. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on the Cavs just external and internal development that they had this year? Because they have been taking that massive jump. So, I mean, I think this is one of those situations where the Cavs just did everything correct based off the, you know, the way things landed for them. You know, you look at the circumstances in drafting Evan Mobley. He was kind of like the obvious pick in terms of the lineup of the way the draft ended up falling out. Ended up being the obvious pickup easily, and it's worked out for them in a really good way. Um, I think when you look at the Cleveland Cavaliers thing, I think they, I mean, when you look at the uh, the Jared Allen aspect of grabbing uh of the, the Cleveland Cavaliers, I think they kind of just run the right place, right time, right? Because I there was a world where Jared Allen and Karis LeVert were supposed to be in Houston, right? Based yeah. on the acquisitions that were lined up with, you know, Victor Oladipo going this way and everything like that. There was a world where they could have been in Houston and they would have been a part of a completely different rebuild slash retooling. And I don't think things would be nearly as good, despite the fact that I think that they're both productive players. Ironically, even, even with Karis LeVert ending up on Indiana, here he is on Cleveland. So it ended up yeah. kind of that really, really helped put this team in a solid position. Ricky Rubio being, uh, you know, a guy who has strength for you as a secondary ball handler and point guard. He hasn't been able to be that this season due to injury, but that season where him and Darius Garland to start off the year were really on a similar wavelength, that's kind of what started things out for the year when it came to them being an oddly good team. That in defense. And TV, I want to talk about something else that you mentioned too. You were talking about your Raptors. Something that Cleveland did was they went a they went left when everybody else was going right, right? There's this idea that everybody was adopting the small ball aspects of playing basketball, this idea of space and pace and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Cleveland went the exact opposite route where Laurie Markkinen was starting at the three for three, them. Yeah. Starting at the three next to Evan Mobley and Jared Allen in a, in a jumbo lineup um, in terms of their front court. And it was really productive, Defensively, yeah. they were one of the better defensive teams in the league across the board in terms of points per game and, you know, uh, allowed and d- defensive rating, blocks per game, all the all the nice defensive statistics. They were right up there with a lot of the better teams at the NBA that are typically considered as tied title contenders. And then, of course, like I mentioned beforehand, Darius Garland took his leap offensively. Them yeah. being able to acquire Donovan Mitchell, I think, is just one of those things that, again— Right place, wrong. A uh, right place, right time. The Knicks were playing hardball, not trying to give up on certain players like Quentin Grimes, and uh, maybe I guess they were uh, maybe not super big on giving up guys like Obi Toppin as well. And Cleveland had themselves a solid package with a couple of draft picks mixed in with it. And here you go, you caught a team at a perfect time where you were able to acquire an all-star caliber talent before the season started. And so far, it's come, it's, it's really helped them out. So. Yeah, Cleveland's just a, a team that has been in the right place at the right time over the last year. Yeah, and the thing is about that whole Donovan Mitchell trade, I mean, 
correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think they were in any of the talks. Like when you're talking nope. about teams that were like in the mix for the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes, mm-hmm. no one was even talking about Cleveland. So the fact that they had this brewing like on the underneaths, underground, and then they were able to pull it off, it's just a testament to them not making too much noise. But they, but they're doing all the right things. Mm-hmm. They're doing everything right. They're making the right acquisitions. Sure, they have a tiny backcourt that isn't, you know, the best defensively. But mm-hmm. when you have, like, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley inside, I think they, they like their chances having, like, a like a tiny backcourt like that. But this team is really good. They have that guy that produced at the end of games, which if you remember the play-in games last year, if it, did, it was Darius Garland ride or die, which was, like, yeah, which was, like, really, really tough to watch. But now you have Donovan Mitchell. You have um, Darius Garland to make things happen. It's all coming together. And people were saying that maybe it was a bit too fast, a bit too much to give up for Donovan Mitchell. They realized, and I think the Grizzlies will come to the realization too, where as much as these guys are young and you want to play the long game, you have to take advantage of like these opportunities when you can. You don't want to be overworking them. You don't want to be like putting all their faith in them. You need to give them the right pieces, like the right pieces around them. And they took the step earlier than a lot of people expected. But it, right now it's paying off. They're like, what, third, fourth in the East right now? And I think even past this year, they're just going to keep getting better and better. Once Evan Moby develops that offensive game, once Darius Garland like really comes into his own, becomes a borderline top five point guard. These are the type of things that the Cavs have been doing, developing their bench as well. I mean, Kevin Love, who we thought was going to be out of Cleveland in like, mm-hmm. like, like last year, has now like really embraced that role player type of role. And... Everything is honestly coming together for them really, really nicely. And we're just like, and they're a team to be watching out for not just this playoffs, but for like years to come. And I'm, and like you said, just making like being in the right place at the right time might be a lot of luck sometimes, but they were able to take advantage. And that's why they ha- they're in a position they are right now. And they're looking really, really good to start off the year. We talk about the, we, we talk about the highs of the NBA and stuff like that. We talked about some of the lows. I don't know how you feel about this, Jalen, and how you feel about this team in general, but a lot of people are really liking to see the downfall of the Phoenix Suns. I mean, if you just recap, like, even dating back to last year, like, dating back to 2021, being a part of the NBA Finals, taking the Bucks to six games, and bringing over that momentum into the season, becoming the number one team in basketball. And then ever since then, this is what happened. I mean, they struggled against the Pelicans, only won six games, but that was a scare. That absolute disaster class in Game 7 against the against the Dallas Mavericks where they got embarrassed. And I mean absolutely embarrassed off their own court. Then leading to the DeAndre Aiden situation where he doesn't even want to be back with the team, but they re-signed him anyway. They, they Jay Crowder has not even sniffed their court yet this season. Then you have the bickering on the sideline that's been happening at the free throw line. They've become legit the NBA villains, like the, the villains of the NBA. Not to mention the fact that people, there's a good chunk of people that actually just don't like Chris Paul in general as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Suns' downfall. I mean, it's for me, it's a little bit irritating. But what, like this whole thing about him basically being at almost the peak, like at the peak of the NBA, now going slightly, like quickly sliding faster and faster down. What are your thoughts on the Phoenix Suns, man? So I think the way that I view the Phoenix Suns situation is that it just goes to show you how small windows are when it comes to championship contention, bro. Like, I just think that it's one of those things that goes to show you that when there is a juggernaut of any kind in your way, it can really be the difference between you being a championship caliber season for a season 
and then being that team that is just in the hunt on a season-to-season basis. I'll even give you another kind of comparison, right? Like the Houston Rockets had that series where a lot of people said that had Chris Paul not got injured, they would have been able to take Golden State down. And then after that took place, Houston really never truly recovered from that standpoint. Like they never truly really improved after that. And it kind of seemed like we were pegging them in the same place that we'd always had them, which was a team that was going to be frisky. They were going to push teams in the postseason, but they were never really considered as a legitimate threat to win the championship. And after making the finals, they got the Luka special. Again, like I said, it's one of those things where you run into a certain juggernaut. For Houston, it was for Houston, it was Golden State. For Phoenix, it was Luka Doncic in the flesh. Yes. You run into a juggernaut, and it's the start of what can become a significant downfall for your team because it goes to show you that from a talent-to-talent perspective, just where you really stand amongst the teams that are truly in contention on a year-to-year basis. And with the Suns, like you said, between Sarver things with DeAndre Ayton, where DeAndre Ayton was nearly an Indiana Pacer this season had they not matched contracts in the offseason. The Crowder situation now, which I think he's actually tanking his value by not playing instead of playing for the team that's still top three, top four in the Western Conference right now. And Devin Booker is now injured, so I think that he would actually have a lot more opportunity offensively if he were playing. There's a lot of things that are just kind of wrong with that situation overall. It just goes to show you that despite how things can go that window is only as big as it's allowed to be and in this case i think that the window is kind of shut on them i mean one thing we didn't even talk about was in the postseason as a part of that maverick series the minute chris paul turned 37 he never looked the same again yeah and it's kind of floated over to this season where again yeah offensively if you focus on him as a as a maestro that keeps the offense you know intact from a assist standpoint from a set standpoint and things like that sure chris paul is the guy he's always been from a cerebral standpoint but as an offensive uh producer you look at his you look at his usage he's got like role player level usage rate this season where it's like less than 20 i think last year it was like 19 i think around now it's like around 14 to 16 percent like he's in like He's legitimately almost like playing role player level minutes, but it's the it's Chris Paul. So we can't associate those two things together. You know what I mean? The idea of Chris Paul being nothing more than a role player. But that's the kind of offensive production he's provided. Um, yeah, man, yeah. the downfall of the Suns just go. And it's crazy because this is a team that a couple of seasons ago we argued didn't have a direction at all. Yeah. And now, at least in some semblance, they have a pathway so for most Suns fans who had to endure the tar- the dark times of, yeah. of being a Suns fan this should still be considered a win but it's the minute you get into quote-unquote championship conversations it goes to show you like it's a it's a different level man it's expectation wise it's a different oh, ball game yeah exactly and the thing about the Phoenix Suns and even like dating back to last year even though they did have the number one seed in the west it always felt like that teams were catching up to them and they weren't making the necessary adjustments to deal with that. It always mm-hmm. felt like that to me. Like we're yes, people are catching up to them, but they're like, no, we're good. We're good. We're, we're fine. We're just going to keep like doing our thing here. And what happens with that is compl- like complacency. I think we've seen that with like many teams in the past where they feel like, okay, we could just run it back, do it again, but they didn't make the, the necessary adjustments. 
in order to do that. And now things like now you're like trending away from where you thought you're going. More frustration within the organization. You have the stuff going with Sarver. I mean, yes, that's resolved now, but that's still going to be hanging over their heads. Like just little things here and there, they add up. They start to add up, and that's what I feel like is going with the Phoenix Suns this year. It has been, yes, DeAndre Aiden is still kind of complaining about stuff. Devin Booker's injury now is actually going to be like really hurtful for them going forward. Mm-hmm. It's there's only like such a small window, and now you like as you mentioned, and Chris Paul is just getting worse and worse year after year, and you're paying him a lot, and I mean a lot of money to be there. I mean. The window was there. The window was there. And I thought, like, going into the playoffs last year that the window was still open for them. But the more and more I watched them, I mean, you you know when we were at Marcus's podcast, I'd be defending these Phoenix Suns mm-hmm. for sure. And now I kind of i am at that point where I'm like, yeah, the window's closed. There's nothing really, like, they kind of, like, I'm not even going to say, like, the rest of the league caught up. I just think that there are things that they did themselves to kind of put themselves in this situation. They could have easily, like, maybe did some sort of sign trade with DeAndre Aiden just so you can get that negative energy out of there. But they were stubborn. They didn't want to lose their number one overall pick. And, you know, I kind of see the value in that. But still, you would rather have, like, so, like, like a better vibe going into the season. Now, it, it started off good, but now it's starting to get worse and worse. I don't know where. I honestly have no idea where this team's going to finish by the end of the season. Honestly, anywhere between three to five kind of sounds about right to me. Mm-hmm. But... Either way, I think that this like this season Phoenix's downfall, especially with them, you know, Devin Booker, you know, he had he had some like comments in the past which made him not really a villain, but people still not to like him. There are re- a lot of reasons why people don't like Chris Paul, and then you see them even complaining about the whole thing with the with the Pelicans earlier this year. You see them like just like whining and stuff like that. There's a reason why people like seeing this team downfall, and they kind of honestly put them on themselves on the, at this point. Um, the window was closed, and I think that the, the future for the Phoenix Suns, yeah, they still have Devin Booker and stuff, but it's 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 still there's a lot of there's just way too many question marks with this team that for me to trust what they're gonna do going forward. The sounds done, found man. I didn't think it was gonna happen this quick. I thought that they found something good there, but it, like you said, thing those windows are tiny at times, and you have to take advantage when you have the opportunity. Mm. If there are things that we are missing from this top 10 list as we go, as we recap 2022, let us know down below in the comment section. But before we head out, we do have an announcement to make. I've been kind of teasing this from time to time here, but we are finally kind of making this as kind of like an announcing point for a start of a new show in 2023. We got myself, we got Jalen here, and we're going to be starting a new podcast coming into the new year, kind of replacing this podcast. We have the Hit Your Free Throws podcast with me and Jay. Very excited to start that. We're going to be doing episodes every single week, recapping, recapping the NBA. We're going to have be starting a whole new page, a whole new podcast feed. Stuff is going to be updating on our social media account, so be on the lookout for that. Jay, how are you feeling about this new project that we got starting up? Yeah, man, I feel really good about it. It's something that we've kind of, I feel like in a sense, we've kind of been working towards this point, um, inadvertently, actually. You know what I mean? Yeah. For the last two and a half years or so, we've been doing the Daily NBA uh, Picks Challenge. And it's been one of those things where, you know, we end up talking hoops pretty much every day, either via DM or even kind of communicating to each other via our videos. Yeah. And we talk about some of the picks that we've made and things of that nature. We've, of course, had each other on each other's podcasts in some mm-hmm. semblance uh, sprinkled throughout the NBA seasons. 
And now you're talking about uh, the ability for us to kind of link up as creators and do something a little bit more long term. And I think it's going to give us a chance to also kind of look at some of the content we've done before and maybe yeah. make some changes to it. Right. I mean, a lot of people and you hate to jack people's flow, but there's a lot of different things that have been out there in terms of potential content to do with podcasts. Would you rather team buildings yeah. um, being able to sit down and talk about, you know, the nuances of basketball as opposed to just kind of, you know, reading all the storylines we see all the time. There's a lot of great statistic podcasts out there. So there's a lot of things that I think we've both learned as content creators over the over the last, you know, two years plus of doing this stuff, where now we can kind of draw from certain things that we maybe didn't do on our own, that now we can link up together and be able to maybe give some things a try. So I think we got a lot ahead of us in terms of the pod. Yeah, I'm extremely excited for this. It just like just provides a lot more just podcasting opportunities, a lot more different sort of, sort of content. And I'm just really excited for this like, collaboration. Again, starting next week, we're going to be releasing new episodes. We're going to be starting a whole feed and everything. So just be on the lookout on the social medias, TV on Basketball, the Knockdown J. All the updates will be there. And we're going to just like, we're just going to like take this, we're going to take this slow. We're going to take this, it's going to be a good time. And as the NBA season continues to like, to like go on with the All-Star game coming around, then we're going to be closer to the trade deadline season, NBA playoffs. You just already know that we're going to be out there with the content. And it's going to be just like really, really exciting. Again, I mean, yes, maybe the TV on basketball podcast will be slowing down for now, not be really be a thing, but still check out TV on basketball when it comes to TikToks, Reels, just all that type of stuff. I'm still going to be making content over there. We're still going to be doing the daily media picks as well, so be on the lookout for that. But it's just another like opportunity I see just coming into the new year, trying to spice things up. And it's just something I've been like wanting to do for a while. And we've come to an agreement that this is going to be a good idea for both of us. And we're both very excited to give you guys more stuff, more content going forward. And just excited to see how where this collaboration takes us. So very excited. And we're going to, again, just check out our pages for the updates. It should be really, really good. But in terms of this episode, I think we're going to end this. I want to take Jay one last time for the 2022 for coming on the show. Really do appreciate it, man. Yeah, man. Definitely appreciate hopping on. And I'm looking forward to the content we do moving forward, bro. We got a lot planned in 2023. And it's going to be a lot of basketball to talk about, considering that this might be the most parody-riddled season we've had in a while. And it feels good to be able to say that, because that means we're going to have a lot to talk about. Yeah, 100, 100%. But yeah, again, if you want to check out Jay and all his stuff, the Knockdown Jay, his new project coming out soon, which he's probably going to be like talking about and like talking about on probably like our pod and stuff, you could go check, mm-hmm. definitely check him out there. Check out the updates there for sure. And all of his links are going to be down in the link tree and the description of this video, all that good stuff. But yeah, this is really going to end today's episode. Thank you guys for watching and listening. Remember to show love on all the podcast channels. Like, share, subscribe if you're on YouTube as well as hit the notification bell. Remember to follow at TV on Basketball on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for updates on the new podcast, for, for more um, NBA content, and all that good stuff. Again, thank you, Jay, for coming on. It's been a fantastic episode, a perfect way to wrap up 2022 in the NBA. Should be really good and excited to see what we can do for 2023 moving forward. But as we're going to today's episode, thank you guys for watching and listening. That's Jay. This is TV. We're saying out. Take it easy, guys. 